Well, let's read Psalm 46. And that's actually one of three Psalms, 46, 47 and 48, and they all belong together. And 47 is a good conclusion to 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall, God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And when the people had sung that, or maybe it was the choir sang it to them, what happened? Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. That was the response to that wonderful Psalm 46. Now, Second Thessalonians and chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, this is quite different from what we've just been reading. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who troubled you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, 
we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Looking forward to, after last week's doing a little mini-series on prayer, as we thought about why pray, today thinking about how we pray. And then later on in the year, we're going to have another one as well on um, how you pray. But one night, seeing I'm talking about pray, praying, do that now and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We give you great thanks that you talk to us and you want us to talk to you and bring our requests to you. So we, as we consider that a little bit more and more today, Father, help us uh, to hear your word and to live by it, by your spirit. Amen. All right, now, I remember as a kid, can't remember how, maybe 10 or so, thinking, now, if everyone in the world is praying at the same time, and in my head that was possible, how could God possibly hear them all? I remember thinking his ears can't possibly be that good. How's he going to do it? How can God hear everything? So, I thought, how am I going to cut through? And I came up with all these great ideas on ways to do it. I thought I could stay up later than everybody else and pray. Didn't quite get time zones at that point. Maybe talking louder, maybe coming up with the most interesting prayers. All these different techniques that I came up with, all sorts of ways to pray, because I thought, how could God possibly hear me? How am I going to pray? Well, today is all about how we pray. But it's not about technique. Instead, how you pray is all about your attitude and your approach and who you actually pray to is how you pray. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you're someone who's prayed a lot in your life, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, or if you're someone who's thinking prayer is bizarre, I'm intrigued to know why you do it. Today what I want you to see is that we pray and how we do it is because there's a God who wants us to have full access to him. Our goal at the end, as you can see on the screen, hopefully, there it is, our goal is these three things, to see that how you pray is to the God, with full access, with a humble and contrite heart. That's the sermon in a nutshell today and I'm going to break those three things up and we're going to think about those and hopefully, God willing, at the end you'll see is a wonderful thing that God wants us to talk to him because of that. So let's get on and have a look at it and let's get straight in. Let's start to think about the first reason you pray. You pray to the God. The the is quite significant because God cares about which one you choose to pray to. 
Who are you going to pray to and how are you going to do it? See, that's something that uh, I'm constantly reminded of because of that on our honeymoon, quite a long time ago now, in 2000, um, many years ago, there was this classic romantic movie that Jen and I went to see on our honeymoon. It's a beautiful, sweet tale called The Mummy. It's a great movie. You've seen The Mummy, it's not a romantic movie in, in my mind, but in this movie, The Mummy, there's this scene that I think depicts depicts what sometimes we think prayer is like. So I'm going to show you this scene. Now, warning, there is a mummy. There's no, no violence or anything, but he does look a bit funny. All right? But now you know that, you're not going to be freaked out if that's, that's you. So we're going to try and play the clip. Thanks, uh, Andrew. Let's see if we can pull this off. All right. There he is. There's someone who has hedged his bets big time when it comes to praying, right? He's got all the trinkets. And how does he pray? He prays with trinkets. And he's gone, I think in that one, what was in that one? There was the cross, there was uh, the Buddha, there was, was a Hindu, and, um, and then uh, the Jews at the end. How, who do you pray to? How do you do it? Well, you just pray and hope that one of them will work. It's like a, you need it to work. So you've got to find that formula. So I think that is very much sometimes how we think um, and very much how kind of people think prayer is. It doesn't so much matter who you pray to as long as you kind of do it in a genuine way. I don't think he was genuine though in that one. But you can just pray to any God. I'll bring that up later um, in a moment as well because I think that has implications for Christians and how we think that through even further. You see, God wants us to choose Him, His way, not just in whatever way we end up determining. And He wants us to pray continually. In that reading in 2 Thessalonians, pray continually, it says. Pray continually to the God who cares about His name. Did you see that in the reading? That His name will be glorified. His name can't be glorified if you're talking to Buddha because He has a different name. So how do you pray? Well, if you're going to pray to the God, there's a pattern in the Bible that if you um, go through the Bible, you'll see that there's a pattern that when you pray to God and you can pray to God, that you pray to the Father. 
Because God is our Father, which we saw last week. And you pray to the Father, and the only reason we can pray to the Father is because of the Son. So we pray to the Father by the, uh, by the Son, and the only reason that that makes sense to us and it transforms our life is it's because through the Spirit, that becomes real to us. So our prayers are to the Father by the Son through the Spirit. One God expressed in three persons. And that's kind of how the biblical uh, picture is represented. Last week we had the prayer, uh, Jesus' prayer um, that he teaches. And our last um, series in prayer, we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. And in that Lord's Prayer, uh, you're, you're praying to the Father. We're going to say it later on today when, when I lead us in prayer. We're going, to, we're going to actually pray that prayer. You pray to the Father. Why to the Father? Can't you pray to Jesus? Well, you can, and it's not particularly, it's not wrong. And there are moments in the Bible where you see that. Why to the Father? Well, the Father is a Father. That's who you come to, to you bring your requests to. When your earthly Father has let you down, this Father doesn't. When you come to Him with your requests, He has your best interests at heart. He sent His Son for your best interests. It's a beautiful thing. That's what why the Father wants you to hear his prayers. You see, the Father comes when Jesus uh when Jesus is uh uh getting baptized. You see it beautifully, don't you? You see the Father is there being pleased by what his son is about to do and who his son is, and do you know what happens? The Spirit He's ordaining it all. He is pointing to Jesus. So you pray to the Father. And the only reason that you can do that is pray to the Father is because of Jesus who gives us access. Jesus gives us total access to the Father. And unlike that little guy, Benny, in the mummy, the the Jesus points out, you can't do that. You can only go with me. That classic verse, which we often go to because it's so helpful. We see it on the screen there. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't come to God unless it's through the Father. You can't come to the Father unless it's through Jesus. Sorry. It's in his name we pray. Now, have you ever noticed, if you've been in church circles sometimes, we'll get to that passage in a moment, um, have you ever noticed in church circles sometimes that prayers end with, in Jesus' name? Or in some ways, um, in Christ or whatever? Why do you say that? Is it just kind of like special words that make the prayers happen and work? No, it's because everything we say is only because Jesus has given us real access to the Father, which we'll get to in a moment. So we pray by the Son. But we can't do any of that if God is not transforming our hearts to believe and trust in that. And that is why we pray to the Father, by the Son, through the Spirit. I'm going to have a lot more to say about the Spirit in our third instalment of prayer in a a, um, few months' time when we come back to it. But to pray through the Spirit means no prayer that you bring to God happens if the Spirit is not with you. He is the one who convicts us that Jesus died for us. 
He is the one that transforms us into being like Christ because he wants us to submit to the knee of Jesus. That, that verse up on the screen there, we, which we brought up last week when we talked about why you pray, one of the reasons I concluded about why you pray is because God so cares that in our heartache and anguish, and when we pray, sometimes our hearts are so heavy, we can't even get words out. And God's saying, I don't care about your ability to say words when you're in anguish because the Spirit, God himself, will intercede for you. That is, step in. He knows what your heart is feeling. And if you could speak what you'd say, he intercedes for you. So why it says in verse 8, 26 there, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. We pray through the Spirit, even to the point where we can't even say words, he convicts us to turn to God. Now, sometimes some people say um, that the Spirit is like our translator. Well, that's kind of okay, but I actually don't think that's actually completely right because a translator is someone who takes your words and makes make sense of them. Now, I don't think when we're praying and we've got words, that's what the Spirit's doing. He's with us in our words, but they don't need translating. God hears them. God hears our words when we pray Father, forgive us. The Spirit doesn't need to go, okay, I need to translate that so God can understand. So it's not translating in that sense. He's with us. He's the one who convicts us to bring them to God. It's through Him that we come by Jesus to the Father. When we don't have words, in a sense it's translating for us in that He knows what words we want to say. And so the first point, which is kind of exclusive and unashamedly so. God wants us to pray to the God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want us to come up with all different types of trinkets or different kinds of backup plans like Benny in that clip. So how do we apply this then? Well... Ten-year-old Michael needed to learn that the when, the where and the what time are not important. It's not an issue of when do I pray or where or where do I face or what do I think uh, about my method. It's who you pray to and what we'll see in the attitude in which you do that. It must be to this God because he is God. Jesus did not say flippantly, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one, N-O, comes to the Father except through me, if that wasn't the case. If he is God, if he did die for us, he is the one by which all our prayers go to the Father. That actually has implications for us that I've experienced a few times which bring challenges for us. Sometimes we, we, uh, you know, in a social setting, in the, in our community, getting, you know, there's these kind of ecumenical prayer services where you pray, where everyone comes together and pray. Now they're really hard and challenging because sometimes Jesus 
is purposely left out of those prayer meetings because we don't want to offend people. I don't think we can accept that. We want to include people in prayers. We want people from all different backgrounds and faiths, but we can't say we'll pray without Jesus. It's just not something we can do. And that does sometimes lead to uh, being seen as rude and offensive. But that's not the case. The case is, he is the only one by which our prayers make sense because it's by the Son. We can't pray through the Spirit if the Spirit's pointing us to Jesus and not have Jesus. So that's a challenge for us. But if we have that attitude that we pray to the Father by the Son through the Spirit, we have freedom to pray to Him. We don't have to be uh, worried about, well, I need to pray at this time and where. You can just pray and that gives great freedom. Why is there freedom? It's because of the second point. We have full access. We have full access to the Father. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean the barrier to a relationship with God has literally been torn down, torn apart. We kind of brought that up last week in the why. I want us to go back there. By having a look at a couple chunks of, of the Bible, you see, when I say it's been torn down, it's because before Jesus, there was limited access to God. The Jews had limited kind of access to God that God had set up. They had a temple And in that temple, the priest could pray. And then within the temple, there's the Holy of Holies where the priest would go sometimes with the rituals and bring their prayers uh, to God. And there was this curtain. And it was this thick barrier that only one could go in once. Let's uh, read uh, that uh, in Hebrews 9, 1 to 8. uh, It's going to come up on the screen. You can uh, click there for me, Andrew, if you don't mind. And let's have a look and see how this is described because this helps us see how much access we have to God. Hebrews 9, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read it and you can follow on. Now, the first covenant, this is the temple and all God's relationship and promises to the Jews. And Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand and the, t- and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss all these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. It's a very complex process that they've got going on. 
There's lots going on and there's this place in which you can go and kind of pray to God. But someone needs to do it for you as your representative and they need all these things there and there's all these kind of momentous things that have happened in Israel's history that are there to remind the people of what God's done. There's limited access and there's this curtain holding the Holy of Holies. Jesus comes. We're getting closer and closer to Easter where we remember his death. Have you ever wondered what that kind of odd sentence is when at the moment that he dies? Flick us there, uh, Andrew chapter uh, 23 of Luke's Gospel. On the screen there. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Oh, is that it? That's unfortunate. I missed the main bit. Luke. Let me go to Luke. If you've got Luke there, you can go there. It's the very next verse. Isn't that unfortunate? Luke 23. 44, and then when he breathed his last, you know what, I'm just going, no, it's still there, what am I doing? See it there? It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The sun stopped shining, which is kind of bizarre, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Is that a big deal? Is it just a bit of interesting trivia? Just showing, wow, everything's kind of, the sun stopped, the temple's falling apart. No. It's monumental because the curtain stopped people having access to God. When Jesus dies, access is given to his people. The curtain is torn because now in Jesus we have access to God. Our prayers don't need a priest, one priest once a year. We can come to him. It's amazingly significant what's happening. The temple curtain is torn in two. We've got curtains at home that, in the house that we moved into that are black and I just desperately want to tear them apart because they're ugly. And I want to get rid of them, but we haven't bought anything else, so they're still there. These curtains weren't torn because they're ugly or because they were old. They were torn because they are useless now. God is showing us there is nothing between you and Him in Jesus. You can bring everything to him, everything. And so as we go back to Hebrews, we see this again. We see this beautifully portrayed in in, uh, chapter 10. Let me go to Hebrews chapter 10 with you. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus is the curtain. His body broken gives you access. His, isn't that amazing? How amazing is it the way that the Bible describes the access that we have and how clearly we can have no kind of doubt that we have this access that God has given this to us. Jesus is the curtain. His body is broken. We can come to God. That is how we pray. Does that make more sense of why we say we can't take Jesus out of our prayers? Without Jesus, there is a big curtain. As we've talked in previous weeks, God's holiness no longer is a barrier. That he is so big and so great, it's been taken down because our sin is dealt with in Jesus that he gives us access to him. There was a curtain... Jesus dies, the curtain's torn because he now takes that place and gives us access. You and I can talk to him. And so we don't need any help. It's a disaster, an absolute unmitigated disaster for a Christian or for someone else to think you need anything else when God is saying, I've sent my son to die. And through that, you have full access to me. We don't need any tools. We don't need special Bibles. We don't need anything of any description. We don't need to come up with special mantras. We don't need to find some special prayers in the Bible. Sometimes there's times in um, recent past, uh, in my time as a Christian, where, where someone comes in and says, this great prayer in the Bible, you say this over and over and over again, and blessings comes to you. What a load of rubbish. Absolute rubbish. God is saying, just talk to me. I'm here. Jesus has given you access. Bring all your requests to me. You don't need me. Now, sometimes as a pastor, um, and it's understandable on one level because of... Um, uh, history, really, in some ways. But sometimes, um, uh, over my time being a pastor, people have asked me to come and pray for them, not because they just want their pastor to pray for them, which I love doing and want to do. And as your pastor, I'm always wanting to do that. But the attitude of why they ask me to pray is because I have some extra access as a pastor, as a minister, as a priest even. That mindset is the problem when we see the access. You have just as much access to me. The fact that I'm in the position where God wants me to open up the word with you, that I happen to go to Bible college, that I'm your pastor, does not give me any more access to God than you. And I do want to caveat that with, don't for a second saying, oh, Mike doesn't want me to pray with you. I absolutely do, as your pastor. But not because you think I can give more access can you see how I've laboured that? Because I want you to have, brothers and sisters, I want you to have true confidence, true confidence that God hears your prayers. 
Don't doubt that God is listening, no matter what you say. See, the how, the technique doesn't matter. If you are doing it in Christ, the Spirit, you have His attention. It's full access. And so the last thing, the last point I want to say is that we pray with humility and a contrite heart. Humility is something underrated. We kind of think, we've even distorted what humility means. It means saying thank you when you do something well sometimes. Oh, wow, they're so humble. When humility is far from that. Jesus wanted to make it very clear how we're to be humble. Jesus wanted to make it so clear on how we're to be humble, he used prayer as an example, as a parable where he talked about a Pharisee and tax collector. Are you familiar with that one? Let's have a look at it because it's a great lesson. It comes up on the screen. Luke 18, verses 9 to 10. Let me, um, actually, I'm going to open it up in the Bible and read it with you as you can follow on. Verse 9 is the kind of lesson, what the lesson is about. And then we get into it. Let's have a look. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood behind himself, uh, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Is your confidence in something you do, in the way you come before God? Now, we've been going for a year and I haven't had anyone get up and pray and say, thank you that I've fasted for two weeks and all these people out there haven't fasted and I'm such a great example and look at all these evil people out there. No one's done that yet. Uh, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But when you pray in your heart, have you done that ever? Have you kind of put those moments when you have honoured God into the place of, wow, I can really come to God now because of look what I've done for him. I think that parable, Jesus is saying, watch out. Watch out. You put yourself up, I'm going to put you down. It's the humble. And so if we come to God, we come with humility expressed so beautifully in that prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. See, the tax collector knows his problem. Brothers and sisters, are we willing to realise that? 
that we're not perfect. If you're not in a relationship with God, that's the first thing you need to realise. That you've rejected him in whatever way that looks for you. Whether it's obvious and many people see it or whether it's in your own heart, in all manner of ways, we have a broken situation with God. The tax collector, knowing he's broken, doesn't go to God, okay, now you must fix me because I deserve to be fixed. Or look at everything I've done because I know I'm a tax collector and I've been dodgy and I've stolen money. Now I'm right with you because I've done all this stuff. He doesn't even try and add a little bit onto it in that prayer, does he? He says, have mercy on me. What he is saying, what he is saying quite simply is, God, I don't deserve your forgiveness. There's nothing I can do to get forgiveness. So all I can say from a position of total and utter weakness, his humble position, can you give me your mercy? That is humility, brothers and sisters. Knowing your position and not thinking you can get out of it and really he is not in that prayer assuming anything. God does it. God forgives based on Jesus, what he has done. That is a lesson that is lifelong, I reckon. When you get successful, you need to remember it again. When you think you've had a good time of pleasing the Lord, we have good seasons and bad seasons in our relationship with God, I think it's fair to say. In those good seasons do we go, God, by your grace I have done these things. Please help me to honour you. It's only by your grace. Or do we say that and start to think, oh, I'm getting in a better position. I'm looking good. Or are we young enough to go, you know what, I need to hear when people tell me, stop being a goose, put your head in place and learn humility. God wants us to come to him with humility and a heart that is genuine towards him. That was Jesus in the garden. Jesus himself. What humility. He said, my father, at the point of his death, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. No one in history has been in more position of power and acted more humbly. He could have easily said, bring down your angels, rescue me from this darkness, and it happens. That's the power Jesus has. His Father's given him everything, going to give him everything into all eternity. And he says, no, your will and humbles himself to the cross. There's our model. That's our attitude to prayer. And so if we're going to be humble, we come to God as a child to a father. We ask God. See, prayer is asking God. Now the question is, what if you ask for the wrong thing? I've asked for the wrong thing and it hasn't happened. 
I reckon it's okay completely to ask for the wrong things and God's okay with that because he'll go, you know what, that's not good for you, that's okay. What's not okay is to ask for sinful things. God, I seriously, I I really do need another million dollars because I've got a lot of stuff to buy. That's your selfish heart coming to the fore, right? That's a really blatant example. Sometimes we can we can pray for things. We don't know whether it's right or wrong, so we bring it to God. Sometimes we might pray for things and looking back in wisdom, you go, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have prayed for that. It wasn't wrong, but that's what our Father's for. He's our Father. He sorts it out. That's why sometimes prayers are yes, sometimes prayers are no, even when our hearts don't understand even when we're crying in despair. That's what our Father's for, to help us, to be humble and to rely on Him. How do we put all this together to finish? Can I encourage us all to acknowledge your place before God? We do get it wrong. If you're not a Christian, what God is saying to you today is to acknowledge that. I need you and your first prayer is the prayer of the tax collector. Have mercy on me, a sinner. If you genuinely pray that prayer, have mercy on me, a sinner, because of Jesus, what we've just seen previously, him tearing down the curtain, You have confidence from this point on of a eternal relationship with him and a father who will always hear your prayers. And all of us need to acknowledge this place before God, our humble position, his great mercy to us. A little later, I'll lead us in prayer in the Lord's Prayer and we'll do that together as well. I will be saying, have mercy on us. And we can pray that together. We can pray accepting we are not God, but knowing he hears us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to come to you in in further prayer in a moment. Uh, But we just do uh, right now before we sing, give you thanks that we can pray to you by your Son, through the Spirit. Father, thank you for the access that we have. It's extraordinary what you have done in Jesus. Make us humble. Amen.